John Gillespie is a 38-year industry veteran. He is the managing director of the Phoenix Salon Suites in the UK and Europe. From education to TV to fashion, he has performed in over 50 countries and the person responsible for bringing salon suites to the UK. Today, we're going to hear all about his story and how he got to where he is and what the future looks like. Welcome back to the Hairdresser Strong Show. I am your host, Robert Hughes, and today I'm with John Gillespie. How are you doing today, John? I am fantastic, Robert. Um, It's um, snow outside. It's December. We're coming into our crazy season in hairdressing um so i'm looking forward to that but um but altogether yes i'm I'm very good thank you nice awesome so it's uh snowing over there i would i would love to uh, get some snow on the ground over here <laughs> um so okay so tell us uh let's start off by getting to know you and uh you know be- being the person to bring salon suites to the UK and now being uh, a-, a part of the process to spread it across Europe uh that's a really interesting um really interesting thing that you've done and uh b- before we get into what that's like I think it'd be cool to hear your background so why don't you tell us what your story is like you know why hair and what led you to where you are okay thanks Robert Alibel and um certainly do that I suppose again as you said 38 years ago um, I began in the industry at 16 years old Um, however that really wasn't the beginning for me Um, I grew up in a hairdressing salon Um, my father was a hairdresser my mother was a hairdresser so I was like sweeping floors when I was five years old I was uh, folding towels talking to clients and being honest, my my father, you know, they they had a hard time in the industry. It was hard work, long hours, um, not necessarily huge amounts of um, compensation for that. So they, you know, he saw it as a, a hard life and didn't really want it for me. Um, but when I was sixteen, I wanted to leave school. I wanted to kind of do something, and I suppose it, it just felt right that it was that it was here. Um, but up until that point, it, there was no plan for me to to work in the you know in the industry of the family so to speak so that that was a bit of a a shock i think to everybody or to my mum and dad so that was again 16 years old the best thing we did at that point in time was that year salon international which is in london and um, that's the big um uk europe almost you know education event um it's like a really big event with classes and you know, manufacturers with stands, education, shows. And it was there that I saw people, saw hairdressers on stage, you know, with microphones and doing models hair. I saw shows and that's what really lit me up about the industry when I saw people performing. And that became my goal. That became really what I wanted to do. Was it, was I turned on by doing clients all day, every day? I'll be honest with you, no, I wasn't. Um, That wasn't it for me. I had dreams from the start to, you know, I want to be on that stage. I want the microphone. I want to, you know, be doing models here. You know, I want the 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 glamour, um, the lights, if you like. And that's that's the way I was. And I I was very hungry and ambitious to to try and achieve what I could do. And to a certain degree, then you know, I feel of, you know, I've had a great career and I've, I've done many. I've surpassed many things that I thought I could or or would do um, just sort of a, as a timeline I started off doing photographs 
my own ones, trying to get them published in magazines, trade magazines. And, you know, getting better at that to then working with photographers, to then getting a, you know, a little picture in a magazine, to then getting a bigger picture, to then getting the front cover. Um, you know, six hairdressers journals, international front covers to date, which I'm very proud of. Nice. Uh, so, you know, that was, that was the big, you know, that was the things for me was to get noticed, to try and be something in the industry. And then from that, what happens, you tend to find an hairdresser. If you're shouting about how great you are, one of these days, and this is when I think a lot of people get scared, is you're going to have to prove it. Um, because you can go so long with just by saying, yeah, this is great and I'm great and blah, blah, blah. But there comes a time when you're going to have to prove it. And I always think the proof of the pudding or the test, the big test, is to stand and do a haircut live, you know, in front of an audience. That is the, for me, I'm not sure if it is now, but certainly at the time in my career, that was, you know, that was a big test. Can you, can you get up there and do it? You know, can you get from behind the chair onto a platform? And for me, that was the buzz for me. That was the excitement. And to be fair, I, you know, I did do that. And I very quickly got into that. It, I felt I was good at it. I felt I could communicate with crowds well. I enjoyed um, being in front of an audience. What so do you think it was, was, sorry, what do you think it was about, uh, like, what you're talking about, I feel like a lot of people uh, would totally relate to is like getting up on stage and that's one, it's cool. And it's also a testament to your abilities, but like, uh, how did, were you ever like nervous or uh, like scared or did you just kind of like dive in and d head deep and hold your that's, breath? Or I'll be, I'll be honest. I was absolutely scared and nervous because it's very much in the industry. No. As, as some people do get to that point of, of um, performing, you don't have, nobody actually really teaches you how to do it. Uh, it's all very much, you know, an organic thing that you end up, here I am and I'm doing it. But for me, yes, I was nervous. Yes, I could, be, I could feel sick before it. But that, I got over that. And I, for me, the motivation was, but what am I going to do? Am I going to let the next guy go up and do it? Or the next girl go up and do it? You know, I, I, I've, this is what I wanted. This is my chance. I will do it. And so you would was, just like talk yourself, like kind of pump yeah, yourself up. Yeah, totally. I would almost like get aggressive about it. I'd like, come on, you know, and nice. get myself lifted up. And that, that that worked for me. And as the as the audiences grew bigger, um, you know, a big um, changing moment for me was, you know, I was doing well within the hairdressing industry, as I say, getting the front covers, doing seminars, doing all the things you could do within the industry. I then got um, picked up by a big American company, um, a direct sale company, and I was tasked with working with them to redevelop their hair care line. So then I got involved in the actual, you know, nuts and bolts of creating shampoos, conditioners, and that was a life-changing moment for me and a career-changing moment because with that, what started off as a good role became a huge role and I was the kind of global spokesperson for, for the brand. And what that entailed was um, taking that brand around the world, doing world launches. And this, this company in America, they, they would do events. And sometimes I'd be in, well, I would be performing in front of up to five, 6,000 people, which generally hairdressers, you know, have not and do not do very rarely. So for me, that was huge excitement. It took me all over the world. 
and it really it, it changed my life as far as the the experiences I had. It was it was a kind of a a bit of a you know rock and roll star within the you know within that world, and it was you know it was first class travel. It was five star hotels. It was looking back, it was it was an unbelievable time. But I developed my thing as being it wasn't really just doing hair. It then became almost like a motivational sales, you know, pitch or seminar. So I became very much became much more motivational speaking and actually getting people excited about buying shampoo or excited about hair care, you know, as a business. Whereas before they perhaps laughed it off or thought that's not really worth my while. So it was getting my passion, one, into bottles, but also out into the market and saying, do you know what, this is an exciting, thriving industry, you know, Hair, haircuts make make the news, you know, and going back at the, in the time, it was a time when, like, David Beckham um, had his mohawk and it was headline news, you know, and I thought, what else, you know, this is, this is how great this industry is, that, you know, a haircut can be the headline on the national, uh, national TV news programmes. So that was a hugely exciting time. From there, a kind of couple of big moments, I was elevated again with, I was asked to do the MTV Awards when they came to the UK, to Scotland, actually, in Edinburgh. So then I was working with them um, on the shows of, like, Beyonce, Christina Aguilera, Kylie Minogue, Justin Timberlake. And the kind of press and the wherewithal I got with that was, you know, was fantastic. And again, it really elevated my um, persona and my reputation. From that, um, I also um, created a situation that and a US company, again, brought a model to the UK and got me to do her new hair, a new look, change her hair, create a look for, she was facing up a brand of a, of a, a skincare makeup brand. And we created a story around that, which was my idea. Because I thought this is really this is a big news, you know. This is great. It's this great model from New York is coming to the UK. She's coming first class. She's you know, I'm I'm working with her for three days. We're doing pictures, all the rest of it. And I thought surely there's a story in this. So what I did was, I, I I thought to myself, how much is all this costing? So this is quite a few years ago, but at the time I conservatively added it up between flights, my fee, the photographer's fee, the makeup artist, hotels all the rest of it, and it totaled conservatively to £30,000. So I built the story around the £30,000 haircut. <laughs> so, so at the time, it might, it might have been beaten now, but at the time, that was the most expensive haircut, you know, that's ever happened. Okay, I wasn't given £30,000 for the haircut, but the bill added up to about £30,000. So I, I, con I created the £30,000 haircut. From that, after the MTV Awards, this was about a year later, with that story, I was I hit every every newspaper in the UK, um, and even broadsheets, not just the red tops. So, and it was just it was again a, a fantastic time to raise my profile and just create a kind of it was a different path that, I, that I'd taken, you know, through all the travelling, different experiences. So that's that's how that's the in the key moments of of my career that got me to this elevated stage. So this is uh, really fascinating. So uh, one, let's go back for a second. Um, how did you do hair behind the chair? 
Yes. Like in the salon? Yes. And I would, would long... say that as well. I, I, I did that and I'm still doing it. I still do one day a week. If, okay. you know, most people, all, all weeks. But I worked behind the chair five, six days a week for years and years and years. Even when I was traveling, I was still coming back and behind the chair again. So it wasn't like one thing to the other. I kind of kept going. Because what I would always say to hairdressers, your, your bread and butter is your call. You know, your day-to-day clients, if you've not got that solid base, it's hard to then go out and do anything else. So I always say before you do anything within here, you you know, build your base of a strong clientele, build your bread and butter that you need to pay your bills and you need, you know, your, your weekly um, salary, if you like. And that will only come from a solid clientele because it's very few that will all, all of a sudden make enough money to that they can just not have to do clients um, so this um sorry go ahead what'd you say that's the basis of everything so uh this is a topic that come has come up a lot um especially on this show because uh we talk we talk a lot about the um the gap between the younger stylists and the new generation and the salon owners and how now like the Gen Z had, um, in the Gen Z generation has access to their phones and social media and videos. So they're able to like really kind of grow at, in a way that previous generations have not been. And uh, also they're also being empowered with narratives and messages that tell them that the old way uh, isn't necessarily the right way. And uh, so we got a lot of them blazing their own trails, which I am totally all for because I like to blaze my own trails. But I I think that um, what, what I'm curious to hear from you is when I say all this stuff um, and I say that, you know, building, you talking about building your clientele being the most important thing and that gives you the ability to 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 go off and try new things you know like if you're making five thousand pounds or five thousand whatever dollars pounds somewhere i don't know what the exchange rate is right now but if you're making five grand and you're and you're like this is amazing i went and did this weekend i did this show and i made five grand but like that's not going to pay your bills. You need still need like an income. So while you're getting kind of started in into uh, exploring yourself, you're saying what I'm hearing you saying is develop like your security and your foundation so that you if you if something doesn't work out, you're not going to be like left without paying being able to pay your rent basically. Exactly. Because very rarely will it happen that it just your career just lifts off to the extent that you. You don't have to do your everyday stuff every, uh, anymore. And it's interesting what you're saying about the, you know, the change in, you know, in the landscape. And, you know, you'll recognize there's, you know, there's young people who are, who can be quite new in the industry and not actually achieved anything, but have a, a larger social following than the salon that they work in. So, yeah. you know, these are, th- these are things that we have to kind of, you know, get through and understand really as people been in the industry longer, because there is a, what I will say is very few hairdressers or you know, certainly from the younger generations work full time. Yeah. You know, anymore. I mean, you know, five days a week, that's unusual now. You know, when I was you know, when I was doing it, you're talking five, six days you were working. 
So whereas now in five, six, eight would be it's not, it's not happening. So the, the, the landscape is different, but at the end of the day, you just you always, I think you just always have to carry on doing what you're doing, you know, and believing in what you're doing. But at the same time, understanding that there's yes, there will be a different path, you know, through their careers. Um, but I always say as well, with what we are doing and what we've done, that, that grows with us and comes with us. Um, and you can't always be everything to everyone. So it's a case that sometimes people can dart from one thing to the other and say, I better be doing this, and these people are doing that, I better do that. So I'm always like, you know, kind of run your own race. Um, and, I, and I always think I mean, that that then keeps you more focused and more understanding what, you, what you're doing. Otherwise, you can get sidetracked with chasing everything else that's going on. Because hair, you know, hair, fashion, beauty, it's like time, it's, it's, it's constant. And it's always going to change. And you can't keep changing all the time. You just have to kind of, as I say, I think I think run your own race and um, stick on your path with what you're comfortable with. Yes, of course, you can try things and experiment. But at the same time, it's easy to get kind of confused and chase the next big thing. So um, how, how did you get your... Uh... <clears throat> Like what led to you getting your first, I guess, um, not necessarily stage, because it sounded like you were doing photo shoots as well. So can you tell, uh, like, say someone's listening right now, they're building their career uh, at, you know, whatever stage they're at, but they are ready to, they really like this idea. They like this idea of working with celebrities or working with brands, doing hair on stage or photo shoots. What? Could you share like how that, that happened for you and uh in 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 a way with the like by sharing certain details that might help another person um you know pursue that dream as well? For me, I mean, you know, going back then there wasn't social media, you know, so right. you weren't putting things out on Instagram or things like that. Things had to be printed, you know, you had to put things in print. So a lot of it was putting send and there was hair magazines, for example, that you could send your work into. And it was then, you know, leveling up that work and getting better at it just through trial and error, really. And I think as well, mentorship, you know, people people in the industry, I think, you know, good people and people who have done well tend to be happy to help. So I'm always, okay. it's always for me, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, people are actually usually quite flattered by it and are only too happy to say, well, yeah, well, I'll show you this. I'll, I'll, I'll show you how you do that. So very unusual when you would get somebody saying, well, I'm not going to share that with you. So generally, ask for help, look for help. But I started, as I said, doing pictures for trade magazines. And then going back to the salon thing, being busy in your salon and having your salon busy, you're then buying you know, a lot from a manufacturer. So therefore, you've got recognition with them and you've got a bit of leeway to say, well, can I do some work for you? So it's, I think the good first step in the way is to get some kind of endorsement from perhaps a manufacturer and then start doing work for them. That tends to then pave the way onto greater things, if you like, um, whether it be through, um, I mean, for me, the things that working with brands, you know, I educated all over the world for L'Oreal also, um, you know, doing cutting seminars and that that again that grew in the salon that was from my salon work to knowing the people 
who worked for for the brand and then building that relationship and guess what something comes up would you like to do it yes i would what will happen is i always say you will get an opportunity but what a lot of us will do and i've done it myself i've never done it myself but i've certainly been tempted myself being asked to do something and almost going to say oh no no it's fine i'll pass on this one because you're worried and you're nervous and you're too scared to do it because you know, we all get this thing, well, I've always had that. It's like, you know, what if I get found out? You know, I'll get found out. I'm not that good, you know? <laughs> I think if we're all being honest, you know, I'll certainly, I've all, you know, I was always, it's like, I suppose it's that imposter syndrome. Um, I'm always like, you know, what if I get found out, you know? Yeah, but, you know, that's a, that's really important uh, thing to, I'm glad you said that. Uh, I have a question because there's another thing that comes up when we i have these type of conversations especially with uh, i go to the schools a lot and talk to the to the students and uh so that's really i'm glad you said the imposter syndrome because that is something that um i don't talk about enough and but uh but yeah like you know don't don't hold yourself back basically don't turn yourself down because you're scared how what about uh, what about pay would you this is something that comes up a lot on social media where you shouldn't do anything for free like this is like a big narrative where you should not volunteer you should not you should not try to get your foot in the door you should like all these conventional wisdoms that really helped me uh on the on the come up uh are people are being told not to do do you um have anything to say about about like you're talking about taking advantage of opportunities that arise uh, and how could you talk a little bit about compensation and how you feel about that? I, yes. Cause I've got a lot of views on that because you know, you rightly said I did a lot of things for free. Um, you know, back in the day when I was up and trying to be something and do something. And to be honest with you, you didn't really have a choice. You either did it for free or you didn't do it. So if I look back when I say, well, I regret doing that for free, but I wouldn't have got the opportunity otherwise. What I don't like about it, and and I think you could say it's not necessarily a hair thing, but I, I would go as far as to say, do you know what? This is a hair thing. Why is it that the hairdresser doesn't get paid? Right? What is it that we just love our jobs so much that we should be on a shoot? And I've been on shoots before. I've been on shows. I've done every aspect of this industry, right? Good and bad. I've been on shoots before when the photographer's getting paid a lot of money, right? The photographer's assistant is getting paid. Makeup artist is getting paid. The clothes stylist is getting paid. The studio is being paid for. The model is getting paid a lot of money, or even four models in that one day is getting paid. And the perhaps the manufacturer, the brand, is paying for the shoot. Guess who's not getting paid? Hmm. The hairdresser. Why? Interesting. And and that that is a it's a bugbear of me. It was a bugbear then, but it's a bugbear now when I look back, and I think it's unfair. And I reckon it's probably still happening. But then I look back and think, if I didn't do it, I wouldn't have got that front cover, or I wouldn't have got that thing in a magazine. I might not have got on TV. Even you know, even you know, it's it's it really irks me to be honest because as we we learn our craft. We do so many hours, whatever it is, honing your skills. But why is everybody else, why is it expected that everybody else is being paid apart from the hairdresser in that situation? I don't understand it. Hmm. The problem we've always had is if I don't do it, 
the next guy will do it for free. Yep. This is the issue we've always had. And it's only when you start to hopefully get that notoriety. Um, and I and I was I was quite lucky early on in my career. I worked with um Charlie Miller in Edinburgh. And Charlie was um really coming coming up at that point to I was very young, I was only 18 at the time, but he was kind of making a worldwide breakthrough as far as doing shows all over the world. And he was very adamant that, you know what, I'm getting paid. You know, the stylists should get paid. And it was people like him that kind of, you know, but it was few and far between. Because again, you know, the work it took to to make it, so to speak, a lot of it was for free. But everybody else is getting paid. So that that was always a a bugbear. Um, Do I have the answer to it? I think if we all agreed, if we all agreed not to do things for nothing, then we would get somewhere. But that will, it's a culture that we've we've um, developed over years. But that that but that also goes on to the salon floor. Yeah, hairdressing and and being a salon owner and being in the industry a long time, hairdressers are notorious for undercharging. You know, undercharging for their work because they're such nice people. You know, we're like, oh, just make it. You know. I know it's supposed to be that price, but just, you know, and that, again, or they're not charging for the extras that they do. You know, I did a few highlights at the top, but I didn't, I didn't bother charging. Why not? It's taking your time. It's taking, you know, the product, the foils of the mesh, all cost money. Your time costs money. And that's a, it's something in the industry that we have to get better at. Because believe you me, these days, things are tough for salons. Things are tough um, and we can't carry on like that. So uh, I I feel like this con- this leads us into me wanting to ask you a question about kind of pushing all the way to where you are now. And I don't I hope I'm not skipping awesome. too much. Uh, but you know, in the introduction, I said you're the person who brought Phoenix Salon Suites to the UK, and. Uh, and to get to that point, becoming uh, like, like I think it'd be really interesting to hear how you got that opportunity or seize that opportunity. But I think we save that for another, uh, for our, the next time we talk. Um, okay. But uh, as we kind of wrap it up here, I wanna, I wanted to say that I feel like I wonder in your experience because in the U I think it'd be really interesting to have this US UK kind of conversation about suites and where you think things are going over on that side of the pond and I what I want to want to know is if salon stylists are notoriously bad for giving away their time and their services and being nice and there's also a move for people into suites by themselves like could you talk on how you what your thoughts are about that and like what maybe if you're if there's anything that you're doing to to yeah. to figure this issue out because it sounds like it could compound and be really bad if you're on your own so that's just what i wanted to so I can talk about that, and I can that then that would lead me into what we are doing at Phoenix Salon Suites and how we are supporting them. So okay. I, if we're ready yeah. for that, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what I, what I will say is, I've been obviously keeping an eye on the market, and I believe maybe a couple of years before COVID, the 
the percentage in the UK of, and I'm, I'm sort of pulling beauty into hair and beauty. The, num the, the numbers tend to be quite similar, but hair and beauty, it was under, it was something like 38% were self-employed. Right. And where is now, this? In the UK? This, this was in the UK. So there was 38% okay. was self-employed. That was a couple of years before COVID. It's, it's risen since then. Oh, right? yeah. Now, at the last count, the number stood at over 65% is self-employed. Get out of here. That's not including selling owners. So 65% of self-employment was in the last figure, roughly, um, that the National Hairdress and Hair and Beauty Federation put out. So they're, they're official figures. That's not me just pulling it from, you know, the wind. The, the With a forecast that it'll go up to over 80% in the next five years. And that figure was a year ago. So that's how the landscape is looking in the UK. And, and as we say, there's things like from what we do from Salon Suites, because on one hand, you're saying, right, okay, it's your own space now. You can do what you want. And as we spoke about earlier, we're notorious for undercharging, you know, not not not, not pricing properly. What we do offer, we call it um, Phoenix Salon Suites Immersion, right? And what that immersion is, is a support support package um, that gives them support in different aspects of the business. Now, that package will include things like, I, for example, sit and do a one-to-one -one, um, mentorship about their business. Um, being in the industry as long as I have, running salons, big salons over the years, I know how to make a column work. Um, I know how to make their, their business work. So we sit down with them, go through the numbers, and help support them to, you know, running their business um, profit profit effective and doing the right things and giving them sort of tips that I can give them to help. The other thing we offer, we also do is like a pricing, we do a pricing seminar. And it's about how to price properly for your time or for what you're doing to remain profitable. Um, and that includes what products you're using, how you're using them, and how you are actually you know dividing up your time so that's another part of it another part that we offer them support on is also their social media because you yourself robert know that when different there's different ages and different you know some of the young ones are really fantastic at their socials some of the people have been in the industry a longer time are a wee bit kind of thinking i know i should be doing it but i don't really know what to do so we take them on like a social media onboarding and work with them to give them tips and, you know, show them how they can actually work their business through, you know, doing social media. So those little, those support things are essential. We get great feedback about it. They like that support. We also do color seminars. So they get color techniques. They learn new, new things because... Another thing people will tell you about coming out of a salon, they might feel, well, I don't have the collaboration anymore. I'm not getting education anymore. I don't really know what to do. Or, you know, I'm charging mates rates for everything. Um, so so it's, all, it's all these kind of things that we can develop with them and help and support them with. At the same time, though, these people are self-employed. So, you know, it's on their terms. We'll offer that support. Not everybody will choose to take it, but the support is there if they want it. Um, and that will help them develop their business. For us, it creates a really positive culture um, and it creates collaboration. 
and a real togetherness within, even though it's sweets, it's still, you know, we still create a culture and there's that, you know, collaboration without competition within the within the building. Nice. All right. Well, um, I think that this is probably a good place to wrap it up. And as I, I would like to d- dive into uh, the sweet stuff a little bit more. Um, and I, just before we sign off, you know, we talked we talked uh, quite a bit about um, your work in uh in i want i want to call it the limelight you know you're getting notoriety and doing the type of work that helps build your your kind of elevate your status and your brand uh your personal brand and um we got some tips on how on what on the type of things that we should do and the way we should think if we are pursuing if we're interested in pursuing that path uh we also touched a little bit on a stylist's abilities to uh manage their own business and the things that stylists should be pay attention to and mistakes that they shouldn't repeat as well as touching on this topic of the salon suite movement and people going independent and um I think that that that's like a pretty like solid start to this conversation. And um, I think diving into what salon suites are like in the UK, um, what the growth uh, process will be, and um, maybe even a little bit more about what you do uh, as part of that. Um, In the meantime, would you like to like say anything uh, into anybody, whether, whether like, I, I imagine when there's two people that, we'd be talking to today and that it primarily and that is somebody looking to do stage work or uh celebrity work which is a lot of the young people want that and then um anybody thinking about going independent and uh you know if you have any words of uh any words of advice for either one or both of those groups of people well i would say particularly for people who want to perhaps step from behind the chair onto the platform, whether it be photographic, television, fashion, is push for it, believe believe in yourself about it. And when you get the opportunity, the biggest thing I tell you is to say yes. Say yes, say yes, say yes. You will be tempted to say no, because it'll feel a little bit easier. But you have to say yes, and you have to push yourself, punch through that ceiling, and actually you know, get yourself in there and do it but it'll be it's tempting to say no. So that my biggest thing in that is say yes. Um, that's the biggest thing I can say. From a point of going independent, I would say we're going independent. Go, in, go independent when you're ready. Some people get the wrong idea. They think, I just want to be independent and I'll start there. I think you need to build yourself a base of business before you can think about being independent. And that, that means doing the hard yards, as I said, and you know, building yourself that clientele building yourself that solid base before you then try to expand that business, whether it's within a suite, whether it's, you know, being self-employed within a salon, whatever journey that you want to be on. But you've no, you can't do anything until you have that strong power base of a clientele. Nice. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you for your time. And um, I look forward to having you on the show again to talk a little deeper into salon suites in the uk in europe and um until then i'll talk to you later thanks for coming on the show great thank you for having me